0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess, and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Grief. I'll be joined by Kirsty Smith as we wade through the aftermath of her journey of losing her father to cancer and her mother to a car accident just a few weeks apart amongst a heartbreaking divorce. We talk about what it means to hit rock bottom, how anger is a mask for fear and sadness and how grief can come in many forms. Betrayal, death, heartbreak and disappointment. Grief is what is no more and what can never be. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Hi Kirsty, welcome to Let's Be Honest. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. This is Weird to be back in my old hometown, which is where we both met each other, and that's in Cornwall. So we're going to talk about grief today, and I know you have had a journey with that, and so have I. And what I've found, as I've been exploring grief over the last couple of years, is that grief comes in lots of different forms. For me, it's been relational, and the grief of something that never got to be because I think the classic grief that everyone thinks about is that of death or the loss of something. Yeah. So I'm really interested to talk to you about all the areas that you've experienced grief and what your walk with it's been like and how empathy comes into that because it's something we've all been through in different ways but it might not be the exact same like strand of grief if right. you know what I mean. Yeah. So I think it will be interesting to to share both our journeys and how some of those lines cross, and then how some have been totally your experience, and then some have been totally my experience, and we can only empathise because we haven't been through them all. No. So, before we get into that, we're both guard girls. You were you born here, or were you no. a Devon girl? No, or where I, were you
1: born? I was born in London.
0: Oh, okay, so. Scrap that. No, I feel more Cornish than anywhere else. I would
1: consider myself Cornish Cornish 100%. I'm not a city type. I don't like the city. Me
0: either. So for those who don't know, Lisgard is a really small town. When I left, I think the population was at 10,000. So not, okay. it's not like a 400-people mining village, but no. it is a smaller community. Definitely. And I obviously left and, and went to America when I was 18. And coming back, I've obviously visited, but it's really changed over the it last has. eight yeah. years. So when did you come down to Cornwall? What age were you? I was 12, and oh, I moved okay. down to
1: Loo. Okay. Um, and I grew up in Loo, and I moved to Lisgard. Well, I went away several times, and then I moved, mm. eventually moved to Lysgard, uh I think I was
0: twenty eight. Oh wow. Okay. So your corn cornwall is really been your upbringing and it has, you've yeah. shared your life with your family and yeah. did you have your children down this end of the country?
1: I did I had both of my children in my dad's house which is opposite your mum's house where we are now.
0: Did you really have home birth? I didn't oh, know that. no I wish I had. Oh okay. No okay. sorry I meant we were living there oh, at the okay, time. okay <laughs> I to say that's amazing I didn't know that at <laughs> no, all. No I wish I
1: had yes wow. I wish I had um but we were living there with both of the children. Yeah so, so yeah.
0: what was your childhood growing up like here with your family what was your family dynamic like growing up
1: it was interesting my dad was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and my mum was um she used to comfort eat and when we moved to loo we bought a spa shop which sells food obviously and it had an off license attached so possibly not the best move um I think it was the making of me mm. as an individual.
0: Um, Are you an only child?
1: No, I have a brother who's a year older than me. Okay. He lives up uh, towards Reading. Okay. No, he's just moved, so he's in the Cotswolds now. But oh, yeah. that's nice. So,
0: yeah. so the, the dynamic and environment of being in a place where be- basically both your parents had weaknesses, like really easy access to alcohol and really easy access to food. How yeah. did you see that? show up in their lives as adults and and people who were your parents
1: um they were unavailable and not around a lot basically although we lived in a spa shop and we lived above the spa shop um, they were very much at the time in the shop and making sure everything was running smoothly and so um, we went from living as a family in London where the parent my mum certainly was around. of the time to moving down in Cornwall and pretty much being left to our own devices a lot Mm. of the time because they were just unaware and unavailable. Mm. So that was a, it was quite a shock looking back on it, but it, it didn't feel that way at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can see that a lot of things changed rapidly, um, including my dad's drinking, Mm. which got worse a lot, very fast Mm -hmm. and my mum my mum's eating as well so Mm -hmm. yeah it was
0: it was quite kind of bizarre did you find as a child that you developed coping mechanisms for yourself in amongst all of that chaos and what some could say was dysfunction how did you cope as a young girl because if you move down here at 12 that's a very vulnerable age for a girl so how did you cope amongst all of that
1: um i went off the rails quite a lot. I was encouraged to find local friends um, and they tended to be people's children that my parents knew mm-hmm. and because my parents were a little bit unaware of a uh, these people's family situations they very often weren't the best choices mm. so I was drinking from an early age smoking from an early age mm-hmm. we did have curfews we did have to be back by a certain time but during the summer holidays and things like that if it was nice weather you were pretty much out all day doing exactly what you wanted.
0: And... Right so sort of a lack of accountability from from your parents of, of where you were and what you were doing and who you were yeah.
1: with. yeah
0: So when you found that you were needing that connection, like all children do, to come and be with their parents and that connection is maybe not available at that present moment, did you find yourself trying to find the connection elsewhere or like going within yourself and being a bit more isolated? How did you navigate that?
1: apart from going out and with uh, other young children Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of hermiting Mm -hmm. it's been uh, one of my coping mechanisms throughout my life Mm -hmm. and I've been doing a lot of it in recent years as well, Mm -hmm. just need time to reflect on what's been happening and
0: I get that because I I can do that as well because sometimes when we are dealing with emotions such as grief or sadness, confusion or all the things that come from when we don't get what we need it sometimes feels safer to go and deal with it on our own for me i think i don't want to burden other people with it so that's sometimes why i go within myself other people won't understand you know whatever it is sometimes it feels a bit easier and safer to do it on your own when i i think actually in those moments what we really need is connection and i think our society really struggles with that men and women all ages all races people need connection we just did an episode on intimacy um and that in moments of crisis or in moments of like really we we're, we're at the crux of what we need is connection yeah. but those lines sometimes are so hazy because people are coming from a place of trauma and not knowing how to connect so we don't get the connection we need if at all you know because people just go within themselves more than I think they reach out to connect and I would love to see our children and the next generation be better at that because I think it's a cycle isn't it of you know if parents don't know how to connect to their children and really be present and available then they learn to do you know what you mentioned of getting more hermity and and dealing with it within themselves and then if that cycle's not broken they then pass that on and pass it on and pass it on so how have you as a mother of two been able to not make that your cycle with your children I think it has
1: been to a certain extent Um, and if you'd asked me to do this podcast even two months ago I would have said no Mm because I was still very much hermiting. It's only really been within the last sort of two three months that I have taken a step back and realised that I'm not present for my children a lot of the time Mm. so I need to do something differently so I've been looking into a lot of. personal development mm. and I've been listening to audio books about how to change those cycles and how to uh, clear past blockages mm-hmm. and um, I've been working a lot on forgiveness mm. and forgiveness of self as well as forgiveness of others. It's a
0: massive one that people forget isn't it? It
1: is, it is and it's uh, it, it's quite hard work mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm really glad I'm trying to do something because my children
0: deserve better.
1: Mm.
0: That's amazing because how many people less than the amount of people who are just happy or, or not happy, but content enough to not change anything about themselves yeah. that you're getting into wanting to make a difference. I really resonate with that because I had dealt a lot within my family of, <clears throat> excuse me, like generational stuff, you know, yeah. things that got passed down and something my mother was really good at was saying, I don't want this cycle to continue and whatever I'm doing now, I know is affecting you and you will do that with your children and on and on and on. Because, you know, our grandparents and great-grandparents, that wasn't in their, no. uh, on their radar that anything to do with self-development or changing your ways. I think it's sort of a happy-go-lucky word of, like, you know, people use on social media all the time of, like, healing your ancestral traumas and, and people throw it around a lot maybe without doing the, the real hard work behind it. So I think you should be really proud of yourself for doing that. I, because I haven't
1: got into the ancestral traumas yet.
0: <laughs> you, I'm throwing that word around as well. Like I'm not sitting here saying I've, I'm. You know, you should look at me as as a way. No, no. You know, something to compare to. Because gosh, I'm, I'm as dysfunctional as the rest of us. So, well, do you think there's a difference? between like physically being there for your kids and
1: emotionally and spiritually being there 100% 100% I've always been there physically for my children right but not emotionally and spiritually is something I'm still trying to uh, get towards with my children I've mm-hmm. I've tried to do meditations with them and that's something my mum used to do with them a lot. She would uh, do meditations with them at bedtime. My daughter still asks me to do a nana meditation and mm. I wasn't present for them, so I don't really know what they consisted of. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to go down that route of doing the same thing. I'm trying to do something different. Yeah. I'm also very aware of any conversations that bring up nana end up being quite upsetting for the children because obviously she's not here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, your mother was my neighbour growing up Yeah, and I loved her. She was the most wonderful woman. I remember she got me a birthday present and a Christmas present every year. Oh bless her. Oh my gosh, she is just the most wonderful lady and just having that neighbour feeling, which I think a lot of people don't really know their neighbours anymore. No I, no, I don't know yeah, mine. I grew up knowing everybody on my street. I was really lucky that I was living in this neighbourhood at an age where there were loads of kids. Yeah. So we were out playing, we were on our bikes, hide and seek. You know, we have the local parks. And your mum was a part of that neighbourhood community feeling and just knowing she was there. And so I, I was really devastated when your mum died. And I can only imagine what that was like for you, going from someone who is pretty much the closest connection you'll ever have as your mother, you know, yeah. you're in the womb, connected to her physically yeah. and emotionally all of your life so in the conversation of grief how has that been for you after she's gone because we've we've talked a little bit about the grief of not getting what maybe you needed growing up yeah but when somebody is gone forever how must that feel
1: very difficult very difficult yeah I found it um at times it's been um I'm trying to use it as a growth, Mm -hmm. as a reason to grow. I'm trying to look at it um, now, not at the time, Mm -hmm. almost two years ago now. But now I'm trying to look at it as a reason to grow, as a way of standing on my own two feet and um, looking at the world around me and thinking there's lots in this world that I don't like Mm -hmm. and I don't approve of and I don't want in my life. But there is lots in this world that's still amazing and beautiful and miracles and I want that more for myself and for my children Mm -hmm. I think when my parents were here because I'm not sure if you're aware my dad I lost 28 days before my Mm mum when they were here they were very much my support and now I don't have that at all so it's almost like relearning how to be me
0: Mm -hmm. without that does that get very scary and lonely at times hugely or mm-hmm. consistently scary and lonely I yes. can imagine that being a constant feeling
1: yeah but I'm really looking at ways that I can make it better
0: mm. and ways that I can make it better for my children yeah how was the grief in the days after both of those happened because obviously your, your dad and mum were gone in the in the really short space of time from each other yeah. and to the people who loved them like my family and our neighbours it was devastating and shocking yeah. I do remember getting the news while I was in America and just being so sad but I have never really had to deal with death with people I know personally okay. I know I'm a rarity that I'm almost 26 and I have all four of my grandparents oh, well, I've never yeah, I've never known a, a close family member to die I did have a distant cousin that passed away but It wasn't somebody I really knew. So I am always really fearful, I guess is the right word, of what that's going to be like, because I know it's coming. Because we all know that death is a part of life and a part of this journey. It's harrowing when it happens at a time that isn't really consistent with the timeline it should be, like when people go before their time. So I know I've got that coming. I've experienced grief when it comes to losing people I love, as in the relationship stops. You know I dated somebody who I really at the time was like this is the love of my life I'm pretty sure we're gonna get married and have kids and and then it came to a really abrupt end and I don't think I've actually worked all the way through that that was a year and a half ago and it's just so sickening and leaving you feeling empty that you know that this person is not in your life anymore and and at the time that was a person who knew you best you were closest to them and then suddenly it's evaporated but there's something so more specific about death and the grief yeah. that comes with that because that person that i'm referring to is still walking the earth yeah i could reach out if i wanted to they're available but when you know that somebody is completely gone it feels like it's that's the what in terms of grief and all the different ways it can show up that's the one that is the most hard to deal with i can imagine it's the most final it is because there's there's no going back from it no so in the in the in the days and the weeks and the, the really close time after your parents passed was that the most difficult period yeah and and 100% what, what was going on and through your mind and happening to you in those in those days right after um I think anger, more than anything. Mm. Was there a shell shock? Like, could you almost not believe that it had happened? Um,
1: my dad had pancreatic cancer, so we knew that was coming. Mm -hmm. We knew there was nothing they could do for him. We knew it was just a matter of weeks. So, in a way, that was not necessarily easier it was less of a shock certainly my mum's was a car accident
0: and no time to prepare you know losing no. anybody is, is horrible and to go from cancer which is just the worst thing as you mentioned there was some preparation or some feeling of knowing it was coming but when you're completely blindsided yes, I can only 10 days after my dad's accident my, it was insane I, I can only imagine my heart is just going out to you in this moment I mean I'm sitting with you holding your hand because I just I can't fathom you're you're in the grief of losing your father because no matter his shortcomings or struggles that was your dad and you loved him very much and such a sad horrible disease and, and he'd been
1: sober for 18 years mm. so it was like I'd had him back for 18 years yeah. and it was still the alcoholism that killed him mm. it was still the alcohol that created the pancreatic cancer yeah. so he had 18 years of being sober and being back yeah. basically
0: and your parents if my memory is correct they had been separated but then were together towards the end of their They were lives. best friends. Yeah. I wouldn't say they were together. Okay, yeah, okay. They were I definitely do remember best seeing friends. them together a lot. Yes. And... They had
1: a very volatile relationship. Um, my dad was still in love with my mum and never stopped being in love with my mum, but my mum couldn't live with the alcoholism. And um, as they refer to it in um, Alcoholics Anonymous, the isms that you continue to have if you yeah. don't work on it. Sure. So my dad did have... Um, he could be quite abrupt and he could be quite um, rude um, and he had anger issues, but uh, yeah, he was still my dad. Yeah. And I'm incredibly lucky that I never had any of that turn on me after he got sober. Mm. I know he did still used to uh, verbally attack my mum on occasion and I'm not going to lie about it, he was not a perfect person but Mm. I had a very, very good relationship with my dad. It wasn't always healthy but Mm. it was a good relationship. Nothing's perfect though. No. Yeah. And I would have considered him one of my best friends. He was certainly somebody I would go to in a
0: problem. How does that feel knowing that you can't go to him?
1: really hard
0: really really hard Mm. so I feel so awful for asking this question because I feel like I'm leading you down a road that's just so unbearable but when you got the news that that your mum had been in an accident can you talk me through that day of what happened and and how you felt
1: my mum had been up to the hospital to have a um, mammogram because she'd had breast cancer twice during her life. And um, she was due to be leaving the hospital and coming back to collect my children from school because it was my first day back at work after my dad had passed away. I'd had some time off and my mum used to do a lot of the childcare um for me while I was working she would collect my children and bring them either to her house and feed them or take them to my house and feed them until I got home from work Mm. and she was on her way back from the hospital and I couldn't get hold of her via text or ringing her to ask her um, if she was going to be back in time to collect my children so I had a word with my boss who was very accommodating Um, and said, look, I'm going to go and collect my children and bring them back to work until the end of the day because I can't get hold of my mum and I'm not too sure what's going on. Mm -hmm. And he said that was fine. So I went and collected my children and brought them back to work. And I think I'd been back at work all of about 20 minutes and uh, a policeman turned up at work. I knew, I sound silly, but I knew from the minute he walked through the door that he was there to see me. And I knew it was my mum.
0: I can't can't even fathom as you're sitting here talking about that first of all I think you're so brave to be this vulnerable because I know there are people who are going to listen to this who have been through grief maybe the exact same situation as you who haven't been able to make a connection to somebody else who's gone through it so first of all I seriously commend you for just being so vulnerable and brave because I think it's amazing. I'm also sitting here thinking about how sad I am in the way that I can conceive it for how much I loved your mum. And also I cannot imagine if I had to go through that with my mum. I just can't. The, the I don't know if you remember my mum had a car accident. Yeah I do. Two thousand and four or yeah, three. It was
1: shortly after my mum's first accident I yeah. think.
0: And She was completely innocent. It was some guy on a motorcycle going 85 on a 20 or something like that. Had his girlfriend on the back, being completely irresponsible, was known in the community for being a very reckless driver and wanting to cause a lot of stir by doing donuts and wheelies like in front of people's houses and just really being a nuisance in the community. And this one day, his reckless decision physically collided with my mum, and he ended up dying. Oh, god! I
1: didn't remember that. Yeah.
0: I would have to ask my mum this. I could be incorrect, but I want to say he died from, like, the handlebar going through his chest, or something really just harrowing. For a long time, my mum's name was dragged through mm-hmm. the local papers before it was, like, officially made clear that she was innocent and totally on the road first you know everything like that but I remember I don't know if I would say it was grief but just those feelings of something happening to your family that you were blindsided by and didn't expect didn't ask for didn't want to be a part of I had some real shithead people at school that like were bullying me and telling me like my mum was a murderer and like having to go to school like having to deal with all of that and his his family you know the young man who died being really angry and It was just such a horrible thing that had gone on in the community. I think he was in his, like, early mid-twenties, if I'm correct. I could be wrong. He could have been in his thirties. He was younger. In my experience, it does tend to be when it's a a younger person that has
1: passed away that...
0: Mm -hmm.
1: People get really up in arms. i very angry.
0: And I remember that going on. And why that made me think of the story is because I... It wasn't a policeman, but I remember... I was was studying for an exam and I was at my tutor's house and my mum, who was very punctual and on time and, you know, really consistent with her care for me, was late, which was really, like, out of the ordinary. My tutor came in and said, oh, like, your mum's going to be a bit late, like, we'll come and sit in here and just wait for her. And I remember this voice telling me, if anything's wrong with your mum, your aunt Jill, who was also a neighbour and a really close family friend of ours and still is, she'll she'll come for you if anything's wrong and I just remember this feeling kind of like what you're saying of like knowing that something's going on this situation yeah and five minutes later after I've had that thought my aunt Jill walked through and I knew something was wrong and she really played it down of oh your mum's been in a little you know bump in the car but you're gonna come home with me but then that night when she was like oh we're actually gonna stay the night at our house and you know she lives five doors down and i couldn't come home and see my mum because she was so scratched up and oh, shaken okay, it. Cool. it was just it was i don't think i put the word grief on it but it was just this concoction of anxiety and being unsure of what's going on and and sadness because somebody has died and just really confusing mm. and my mum didn't pass in that situation but i can understand the feeling of being blindsided by yeah. something really harrowing because i think with something like grief empathy is so important you know so that's not me trying to say oh, i've been through something terrible too it's like i can understand the best i can from my experience that feeling of just being in shock so that's when when shock. that police officer came through what happened
1: um i had my children with me in work and he said i need to speak to you on your own so my, i had to leave my children in the office and go out into the uh other room with him Um, And he said, your mum's been in a bit of an accident. Uh, Well, it's her car, we think it's her, but there's no reason to believe it's not. I was like, no, it it would be my mum, because I know she was in her car. So um, he said, right, you need to come to the hospital where she is. And uh, at that moment, I thought, I'm saying goodbye. I'm saying goodbye to my mum already. This can't be
0: right. How did you know that that was the thing that was happening, like... That's almost sort of like a sixth sense of just knowing when something's wrong with people that we love. Do you give any credit to that, of just almost yeah. having a sixth sense about it?
1: I, I think so. I I think there is truth in the sixth sense, but uh, I think I was just uh, in shock and it was the first thought that came to mind. I, w- I was still very optimistic as we were being taken to the hospital and she was still alive mm-hmm. that it was going to be okay. I really didn't know what, what to think at the time. It was just too much to take in. Of course. So we had a short discussion and the policeman said that he was going to drive my car to the hospital um, because he didn't have car seats in his car and he wasn't aware that I had my children with me. Right. So he drove my car to the hospital and we had to go past the crash site and I had to see my mum's car. Oh, my God. Um, and it was... Uh, less than a metre wide where she would have been sat. And we got to the hospital and I, I got hold of a friend of mine who lives in Plymouth to come across to the hospital and be with me and um, to take take us home because I wasn't fit to drive. Mm-hmm. Did you get to speak to your mum at the hospital? Yeah. Yeah, they took me to see her. They'd, she was asleep, unconscious. They'd put her into an unconscious state. And I saw her. And I told her I was there. And I told her she was going to be okay. Mm. And they wouldn't let me see her for very long. Because they had to take her in for an operation. Because her arm was broken in several places. And they'd already taken her in for a different operation to put a stent in her artery Mm. how were your children in this moment? I'd I'd had to leave them with a nurse they weren't allowed to see her
0: do you think that was the right decision?
1: I think it was the right decision at the time Mm -hmm. I don't know I think, but that wasn't my
0: decision. Mm. I think adults always do their best to protect children. Yeah. You know, but I was I was I'm in two minds about that. The only experience I've really had with death was my great grandmother passing, and I was five, so I don't really remember it. But I do remember not being allowed to go to the funeral. Yeah. And still, to this day, I sort of have feelings of. I know that my dad, who who was the one that made the decision, was like, a graveside funeral is not the place for a five-year-old, it's too morbid. It was trying to protect me. Totally had the best intention when making the decision. But also, without any malice, took away my ability to say goodbye. Yeah. You know? So I always think that's so difficult when children are involved because we're trying to protect them, but then not that children should ever be put in a situation that's that's not right for them but in those moments gosh we're sitting here talking about empathy and connection and the ability to understand em- emotion i don't think there's anybody better in the, on the planet than children to do that mm-hmm. you know so i i am with you in that that it's like it's it feels right at the time but then what makes you say now you don't think you would have made that decision if it was yours That wasn't my decision to make at all. That was the hospital saying they
1: weren't allowed to go through. It was my decision later to stop them from seeing her while she was in a coma. Mm -hmm. She spent three weeks in a coma and I didn't want them to see her Mm -hmm. because I found it hugely traumatic that she was there and you could talk to her, but she wasn't there. Mm
0: -hmm. After you found out that the accident happened, was your mum able to respond to you? you No so you not, were not able to get a response back from her no, not at all so you did feel like you had to really say goodbye even though she was still physically there it, it,
1: going back to your um, speaking of the sixth sense of things on the third day of my mum being in a coma 100% she left her body mm. I could feel it it was palpable she had been there and she had been... I could sense her confusion. And on the third day, her body was empty
0: and she didn't return. Wow. And my family think I'm nuts for saying that. I don't think you're nuts at all. I Do you know how many people have said that? That they they can feel when sort of the spirit of a person leaves, leaves the body. I can't 100% think that that is a thing. I don't think in any way you imagined that.
1: No, I don't either.
0: And for someone who is probably apart from your brother, somebody else who shared her womb and was connected to her, the closest person that could have been there, you know, in terms of somebody who was most connected, I think that that makes sense that you were the one that felt that. I found it very difficult because the minute she left,
1: that was it. And what was the feeling for you? empty I felt empty Mm. I didn't want to go in and see her every day (laughs) knowing she wasn't there yeah and she wasn't coming back but I had to Mm. every single day I think in the whole of the almost three weeks I think there was two days I didn't go in
0: yeah Um, I know from knowing you as a friend that you've also had a a journey and a walk with grief when it comes to relationships, which I can empathise with. So were you married at the time of your mum and dad's passing? No. No?
1: No, uh, I separated from my husband in the summer of 2015.
0: What, What has that journey been like of going from being with the father of your children to... Now what the current situation is, which is correct, not that much involvement from him. That's such a rapid 180. Yeah. Did you guys have a love story at the beginning? Was there a real connection there? Um, I thought so.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I really did. Um, uh, we met on Match.com. I I was a bit of, a bit like the uh, Spanish Inquisition. I was uh, <laughs> determined I was going to find somebody who wanted similar things out of life as me. So yeah. I, I asked lots and lots of questions and lots of difficult questions, and near enough every single response was perfect, mm. picture perfect, almost read out of a book, perfect. Mm-hmm. I yeah, it was uh, it really took me back. It was a big shock. Um, it wasn't what I was expecting, but it was certainly what I was hoping for.
0: Just side note, we are in Cornwall and the seagulls <laughs> are going <laughs> <laughs> mental. You can't be in yeah. Cornwall without hearing seagulls, so it's just part of the, <laughs> the background environment. <laughs> it's all right, carry yeah.
1: on. Um, we we went together a huge amount of time and uh, I fell pregnant. And um, we had our son, who is now ten and a half. It, it was just... It was bizarre looking back on it because it was a... Uh, too perfect.
0: Do, when you say too perfect, like, is that the same thing as, like, like not authentic or disingenuous? Yeah. Like, it wasn't what you thought it was, or it did change? And it, it
1: wasn't what I thought
0: it was. Mm. It was... Um... And there's a grief in that. Of, yeah, of it, very much. Of being almost fooled, because I've been in that situation yeah. too, of it's, oh God, I totally thought this was something else, and the truth comes out. And there's a grief in being fooled and have waiting been waiting so long and thinking this is it and it turning out to not be so yeah. I think that that that's a real step that people have to go through it was very
1: difficult um, he was in the forces or still is in the forces so he was away a lot and he used to come home and uh, really go to town on his as he referred to them oppos his friends that he works with about how they had different women in different ports and...
0: That he had
1: them? His friends.
0: Oh, so he would have a go at them for He would really
1: go on to me telling me about all of his friends that were doing this with other women and were doing that and were paying for it and just sounded completely horrific. And And why share it with you like that? Well, I think it was so that I had less in, I was less inclined to think he would do that if he would go again mm, so talk yeah. about it. If all I the time. Present that I'm present
0: i really outraged by it. You're less likely to think that I might be doing the same. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so.
1: I think so looking back on it. But
0: I, I completely believed
1: him. Um he was appeared very genuine in his um detest of their behavior and uh, one friend in particular um, who had several excuse me several women in different uh, areas and was married and had children and just it, it just seemed incredible that this was going on but not not my husband he wasn't doing it because he was he was really angry about it so he couldn't be doing it it just it wouldn't make sense at all after a few years and we got married and had another child a daughter who is Coming up for eight he he got an upgrade on his phone his phone software updated itself, and he said, "Oh look, have a look at this, have a look at that, look what my phone can do now and this was like not really in the early days of smartphones, but uh I hadn't had a smartphone for very long he had uh, I'd had quite basic phones because I wasn't really fussed about it, so he wanted me to see what his phone could do now, and I was looking through his phone and I found messages quite a few messages from more than one woman. No names.
0: Just messages. Did he ask you to look through his phone almost like he wanted to be caught? I or just don't stupid.
1: Don't know. I genuinely don't know. Mm. He's never admitted it to this day. He was in the shower. He handed me his phone and told me to look through it, and then got in the shower. Um, and then came out of the shower, and I didn't know what to say. I was just dumbfounded, so I almost pretended I hadn't seen anything for a while, and it was just eating away at me and I just didn't want to think yeah. about it at and all. I almost
0: wanted to not believe it could be true. Yeah because absolutely. that's just such a betrayal.
1: Yeah. And uh yeah, I, I eventually plucked up the courage and said, What is this about on your phone? And he said, I I don't know what you're talking about and I, I quoted a couple of the messages to him. And he said, no, 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 I, I, no, 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 I, I can't answer that question, I can't answer that question. And he picked up his phone off the table and walked into the kitchen and started playing with his phone. And I followed him into the kitchen and I said, look, you can't just pretend this isn't happening. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about, there's nothing on my phone. And handed me back the phone and he clearly just deleted the lot.
0: Mm. And I can't answer that question, like yeah. that's such a specific, because if it's not true, you, you wouldn't say that, I don't think.
1: It's been um, a long time, four year, four and a half years almost, and we're still not divorced. Being in the forces, he's uh, difficult to get hold of, and uh, I'm quite sure, looking back and thinking of all the controlling measures that he had in place over us, that a lot of it is to do with that as well. As far as I know, he has been with one of these women since at least a year before
0: we uh, separated
1: and before I found out about it.
0: And how does that feel, to be somebody's wife and the mother of their children, for them to completely betray you and, by the sounds of it, not really care about it. In terms of grief, how how does that feel? Devastating. Devastating. Did it bring up any issues of self-worth within you? Oh, Did... I'm still working on that. Still working on that. Because I think that the strongest women, when confronted with that situation, really struggle to not doubt themselves because it's in our nature. I think it's how we've been raised as women to almost sort of feel lucky if if we've landed in that situation. Like, well, we've gotten a man who wants to marry us and give us children and provide and all of that. So the common response when it's in regards to cheating and betrayal, it's the instant reaction is not... (laughs) What are you doing, messing around on me? Like, do you not know how lucky you are to have me? We we go into, well, why did you choose somebody else over me? And and we doubt ourselves, and yeah. we don't prop up our own self worth because not that we think we've deserved it, but that it means like, oh, he must not love me enough, or if he because he wouldn't have done this otherwise, you know. So how was that journey for you as a as a woman going through like analyzing what your value is? Uh, I'm
1: still dealing with it. I'm still trying to go through it. And this is part of what I was speaking about earlier trying to work on forgiveness and forgiveness of self because mm. I was really angry with myself. Mm, that's
0: understandable. That this happened. That what did I not do? Yeah. yeah.
1: What did I not do? Or how, how did he get that past me? Or mm. Yeah. And I'm desperate to not leave this with my daughter. Mm. I don't want her to have self worth issues.
0: Or pick a man that would do yes. this too. Absolutely. I think most I... mothers most mothers don't want to pass on the mistakes they've made to their kids. But it's so yeah. difficult when it's their other parent that you don't want them to follow suit of or, or be impacted by. Yeah. You know, that's a really difficult dynamic. So how how has your children's experience been from your grief? <laughs> grief of the loss of your parents, grief of the loss of your relationship... If I can assume somewhat, I de- the loss of your identity. Yeah. Because going from being a wife to not going from being somebody who has parents to not, your identity has has shifted throughout the last handful of years of your a life. Lot. Yeah. So how do you think your children's own grief has been influenced by it, and just their own grief because of their own experience as well, because they lost their grandparents and their dad has been in and out. You know, because some of that is their own experience that yeah. is not the same as yours. So how do you think those two strands have crossed?
1: I think it shows in both of my children in very different ways. My son flits between trying to be strong and um, supportive when he knows that I'm having difficulties mm-hmm. coping with the situations.
0: Do you feel like he's felt like he's had to be the man of the house? <laughs>
1: I feel like he's tried to be. Mm.
0: Which is, how old did you say he was? He's ten? ten. Ten and a half. That's a massive amount of pressure on a young boy's yeah, shoulders. it is. And I, I feel really... Um, do you feel responsible to yeah. sort of show you're okay, even if it's not how you feel in the moment, so they don't get burdened with it?
1: I do more now. Hmm. In the heat of it all, I didn't even consider that. It just cool. wasn't something
0: How could you? Could have People been would forgive of. you to not be able to see that the sky is blue in that moment because you're so burdened down with the fog of what's going on. So as you said, I think you can forgive yourself for those yeah. moments because when you're going through serious trauma, like you have been through, there's no way for you to be cognitive in the moment. You're, you're trying to survive yeah. in those actual moments. And also now, even though those situations are not completely active and, presently happening you've still got PTSD because that's the normal uh, chain reaction of trauma is that you experience the trauma, you've got your initial survival response and tactics and then you have to deal with the aftermath because you don't just have trauma and then it's like oh that was a nice day to experience then you go back to being jolly old yourself, like you go on trying to live life now that this has happened so I think that's a really tender walk for mothers. I'm not a mother myself, but I've seen how my mother has picked herself up after trauma and the walk that she's been on after those things have happened and how she's tried to balance showing me what she's going through and being real, but also trying to protect me. And I think it is a really tender balance and walk that only mothers can understand. So I think that's a beautiful thing that you're trying to show them what's what what you're dealing with and who you are in this moment but also not wanting it to cripple them
1: yeah I certainly don't my, my son very much flits between trying to be uh, as I say strong and supportive and then uh, he goes into a uh, baby talk and wants his mummy and wants to sit on my lap still and uh, mm-hmm. almost wants to revert back to being three or four when everything was fine in our world mm. and we hadn't had any trauma that we have
0: to deal with and daddy was still attentive and there and Mm -hmm. present and so you mentioned to me earlier before we started recording that their father is not really around now and goes long periods of time without making contact and how does that show up for your kids of the inconsistency and the not knowing when it comes to one of their parents i think they both struggle with it but it's uh, it's
1: very different for each of them um my son is very uh, almost accepting that this is just how life is with daddy now and uh, when he wants to see them my son very much wants to see his dad and wants to be with him but because he's uh, not necessarily safe to be around now as in the past he's lost my son repeatedly he also gets very nervous and anxious and uh, his behavior he becomes a lot quieter his behavior changes and uh, he's not as outgoing and fun loving as he would be generally and uh for my daughter she has always been daddy's little girl really she's never been lost and experienced the trauma of that like her brother has and uh so she is uh she misses her dad desperately. she often asks me when he's next going to see them, and I'm unable to give her an answer as it is they've not seen him since July the second he's not even made contact, so we have no clue where he is what he's doing. don't know I have no answers for her. I try and comfort her and mm-hmm. tell her that i, I- I'm sure he does love you and I'm sure he will be at some point, but I'm unable to give her a Mm -hmm. response. But as I mentioned to you earlier, it's almost easier sometimes when he's not seeing them regularly because um, their anxiety when they do see him more regularly is actually greater than when he's Mm -hmm. out of their life for long periods of time my daughter's almost 8 and she goes back to bedwetting 3 or 4 times a week when she knows that there's visits coming up she gets more sensitive and mm. snappy and aggressive when so she knows it's coming around
0: of course speaking of anxiety and and those shifts in emotions how has your mental health been through all of this cuz that that when did your dad die my dad died in january 2000 and 18. 18 oh gosh okay sorry I had the timeline wrong so this has all been in the last two years yeah that's a humongous amount of things for one person and one family to go through so how has that felt inside your own mind and your own heart and your own self in in the last two years I know you mentioned that you've hermited and been quite protective, but have you struggled with anxiety and depression on the back very of Very much so. Very much so. I've had
1: social anxiety and panic attacks, and uh, I'm I'm unsure of entirely if it was depression. Um, I saw a bereavement counselor for a year, and uh, I felt that was uh, very beneficial and helpful. Uh, I still suffer from anxiety and panic attacks. It's a uh, mm. it's a lot better. It is certainly a lot better, but. Uh, It's almost been in swings and roundabouts. I was having uh, lots of panic attacks when my mum was in her coma and for the few months afterwards and then it seemed to stop and it's uh, come on again within sort of the last six months or so. And uh, touch wood, I haven't actually had a panic attack in nearly three weeks now. So
0: Mm. I know the panic attack life very well. I've struggled with them too. And to me it felt like I was going to die and it was so overwhelming and my nervous system was just on overload and in such violent shock you don't know what to do like I almost thought I was having a breakdown in the moments and some of them lasted 10 minutes some of them lasted a couple of hours some of them were just a fleeting moment but I know that feeling very very well and it's, it's terrifying isn't it it's completely debilitating mm-hmm. I, I've
1: had to pull the car over in the middle of the A38 which is quite a busy road as mm-hmm. you're aware yeah and just pull over onto the side luckily I didn't have anyone in the car with me my children weren't there because I, I really wouldn't like them to be uh, in that situation mm-hmm. and I
0: just had to get out of the car and sit on the verge and just cry 10 20 minutes yeah i know it so well to me it feels like i've never done hard drugs but it's what i imagine being like off your mind on like a really hard drug would feel like just completely in no control whatsoever
1: yeah Yeah, completely out of control and i think our life generally has been completely out of control for um, off and on since I separated from my husband, mm. it's as I say. Within the last two or three months, it feels like it's starting to get back on track. Mm. I feel like I'm actually starting to make headway and make progress in the right direction. Whereas before, it was maybe two steps forward, three back, mm. three steps forward, four back. It
0: was just so frustrating. Just never seemed to be
1: going in the right mm.
0: place. What's your higher power in life? That's a good question.
1: I believe in God. But I'm not necessarily, I'm not sure that it's necessarily the same sort of Christian God that I've been indoctrinated to know about. I believe in a God of my own understanding. I believe there is a power greater than all of us and that we are all connected and we are all part of it. And that we are all just different versions of it experiencing itself in different ways. Mm
0: -hmm. We've talked a lot about heavy, heavy stuff today. (laughs) Grief sadness just the most low you can go I know you just from knowing you in my life that you're such a a beautiful person that wants and believes in connection and you know I just think you're great the way you are I just really love you how in with using the tools of your higher power as you understand it the love you have for your children and the love I know you have for life how are you going to move forward from all of this and and how do you plan to within of course your own timing because nobody can rush you or tell you when it's time to move on and I genuinely ask out of interest as I begin to step out of my own grief as I have experienced it to step out of it and move move on and continue your life What do you hope for the future? What would you like to see be a part of your life? And how do you think through getting all of this trauma and dealing with PTSD that you'll get there?
1: I think there's a lot of personal development I need to do to try and work through this and ensure that it's not all left to my children to deal with. I don't want them to have difficult lives because mummy still struggles. I want to move forwards in a positive way and I would like if at all possible, to try and use some of my traumatic experiences to help others. I've recently been asked if I would be interested in writing a book about the experiences, which is something that uh, I would be interested in doing it, but I think it would be quite a lengthy process. I don't think it's something that's going to happen very quickly. That's not something you can rush. No. Yeah. Um, And when my mum was in her coma, I did... um, keep a sort of journal Mm -hmm. of how i was feeling about it and how it was affecting my life and my children's lives um and i could use that as a a starting point
0: Mm. i sort of as just talking about it i'm picturing almost like a journal format of the book of like sort of like a diary of how you're feeling because when it comes to grief, would you agree that the feeling changes day to day? Oh, very much so. Minute to minute sometimes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can be okay one minute. Again, I I can compare it to the relationship I've had and lost. Chose to walk away from, but lost. One minute I will think, oh gosh, I haven't thought of him in days. And then I'm like suddenly thinking about him and then the next 10 minutes I'm just like, Contemplating if I want to carry on living or not. It's so, like, up and down sometimes. And if you have mental health issues for people who have things like bipolar disorder or border personality, those are um, inflamed and it's so much harder to deal with something like grief, which is already so up and down and volatile yeah. and unpredictable. Do you think you would want a relationship again after you're oh. out of this one and
1: that's behind you yeah definitely mm-hmm. I, I don't want to spend the rest of my days alone mm-hmm. but I think it would need to be a lot more of an equal footing mm-hmm. um, and a lot more um, a lot healthier relationship because uh, I think I adored him to the point of putting him in front of myself
0: and my children how many women in this world can put their hand up and say they've done that <laughs> yeah, I can I'm sure yeah what are some things that you're certain you've learned through this process?
1: I've learned to care a lot less about what other people's opinion of me is. Mm-hmm. I've actually recently left Facebook, as I mentioned to you, because yeah. I was uh, constantly comparing myself to everybody else around. And mm-hmm.
0: and all that social media stuff is just ha- people's highlight reels. Yeah, Seldomly are people putting the negatives in their lives. It's so easy to, to compare and think, well, they've got it right.
1: Yeah, but I'm really, really concentrating on not comparing myself to other people and um, just trying to concentrate on the positives that we do have in our life and being grateful for small things. The one silver lining of losing my parents was that they left enough money for me to be able to buy a house. Mm. It's not outright. It's got a huge mortgage on it, mm. but it's ours. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to kick us out of it. Mm. So that I'm very grateful for. Yeah. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for my job. I don't always enjoy my job, but I get on with everybody I work with mm-hmm. and that makes it a lot easier. And my boss has been, uh, very accommodating with the whole situation and I'm grateful for that and Mm. I'm grateful for our dog and I'm Mm -hmm. grateful for my wages they're not great but they keep us afloat so I'm trying to look more at uh, things we can be grateful for and Mm. uh, the more I'm grateful for the more I find I have to be grateful
0: for so that's so beautiful and just to end what are some things that you're really looking forward to and excited for in the future um i'm looking forward to going and seeing my brother at christmas
1: i don't see him very often because he lives so far away but uh, i do love him dearly so i'm looking forward to seeing him and his family i'm yeah. looking forward to seeing my children
0: grow it's an exciting time you can have teenagers and not too long <laughs> yeah i don't want to think that far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> not just yet um, and what about something for yourself what are you excited about, feet for Kirsty? Um, I'm learning to become a spiritual healer. Mm, wow! And, uh,
1: I'm uh, really excited about like that. Like Reiki and stuff like that. Um, it's got aspects of Reiki in it, yeah. yes, but it's a lot more involved. It's a two-year course, and there's a lot more meditation and looking into um different healing modalities and different ways that you can put healing out into the world just by trying to be. Uh, a kinder and more loving person to all people and what not just to spend individuals. Time on. That's I'm amazing. really enjoying that. I've only been doing it about your four or five months. Your face lit up I, when I really love about it. it. I love it. And I'm very grateful for my tutor. She is an amazing, fantastic lady and she's been, she's been brilliant.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, just sitting with you, I can totally see you doing that because your energy is so peaceful and calm. And honestly, for what you've been through, which is harrowing when it gets down to the core of it. You're such a loving, beautiful light and I I just think you're gonna contribute so much to your children and to the world and you contribute to me. you you know you. you have as I've as I've grown and known you and your family and I think you're amazing. And I really want to say thank you for, for being willing to to do this today and for sharing your heart and your story and being so vulnerable because I think there's a lot of people who sit in grief in silence and don't hear other people's stories and I think to me the most impactful part of your story is how you've risen from from the ashes of it all and I know there are people who are going to hear this that are still in the ashes and that you will be such a light inspiration to them so thank you
1: no thank you I've really enjoyed it I'm so glad thank you for coming I think speaking about things always helps
0: yes connection in crisis is really important and for me I just got to see a lovely old friend but I've really been blessed by your story and and how you're just determined that you're gonna have a beautiful life and and contribute to the world and I think what you're doing is amazing so thank you thank, thank you, you. yeah. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest, the podcast. A huge thank you to our special guest, Kirsty. Tune in in two weeks time for a brand new episode. Bye.